I am Dr. Jessica Bennett, and this is season three of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. This podcast is created to build awareness for our nonprofit, Mindful Literacy Columbus. This season, we will hear from guests on topics related to teaching and learning. Many of the conversations are for parents and teachers and focus on the areas of literacy education and special education. The mission of Mindful Literacy Columbus is to provide one-on-one and small group literacy tutoring to children with dyslexia or who are at risk for reading failure. It is our vision to create a center where children can have access to high quality, affordable tutoring no matter what. In our mind's eye, this center would also be a place where adults can study our language together and where parents can find support. Listener support is paramount to how much we are able to support kids in our community. Thank you so much for your support. I have an announcement about our first annual Mindful Literacy Columbus Conference, which is happening October 12th, 2021 at Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio. Virtual seats are also available. So grab your teacher buddies and grab a seat. Executive functioning, practical strategies for maximum growth. Learn strategies for building the big three executive functions in literacy, math, and social-emotional development. Literacy sessions will be focused on how to teach kids who have working memory and processing speed challenges, for whom traditional Orton-Gillingham has not fully worked. Structured word inquiry and orthographic linguistics will be discussed in depth. Sessions will be organized into elementary, middle, and upper level strands, in a workshop style so that you can walk away with tools, techniques, and deliverables to implement in your teaching practice immediately. Registration is now open at mindfulliteracypractice.org forward slash conference forward slash. Listeners of this podcast can use code PODCAST10 in all caps for 10% off early bird or regular registration. I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. If you would like more information about the conference, please send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can also email me, Dr. Bennett, at mindfulliteracypractice.org. That's D-R-B-E-N-N-E-T-T at mindfulliteracypractice.org. And our Instagram handle is at mindful.literacy.cbus. And on Facebook, we are mindful.literacy.columbus. Thanks again for your support, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Dr. Lauren of Think Dyslexia, welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, I was really, um, I just want you to know how much it means to me how we met through social media and how you actually, like, are making connections with people. And that make that it just really means a lot to me because I think it's, you know, there's something to be said of doing the work that we both do and connecting with people in authentic ways that help and make a difference in the lives of children. Um, yeah, so definitely. Yeah. And I, I will say that it's social media for a reason. You should be social. <laughs> you should make connections and you should talk to people. So I, I love meeting new people on social media. And I was so excited that we were able to connect. 
Yeah, same. I think for a lo- the longest time, I didn't really understand how to use it effectively. And, um, you know, I think it, it for a while made me uncomfortable to talk to people that I didn't know in the flesh. And so you just made that so much more comfortable. I think you actually reached out to me a couple of months ago and you're like, hey, I like what you're doing. Um, can you, you know, let's, let's get, let's talk, you know? Um, and so I started following you and your content is just incredible. And so I'm so excited to learn from you and with you today and for our listeners, um, what you, what you can bring to their practices as teachers and parents. So thanks so much for your time. Definitely. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So for those of you who don't know you, can you give us the elevator pitch of Dr. Lauren? Sure. So elevator pitch. So those are usually short and sweet, right? (laughs) All right. So I would say that I am a dedicated and passionate special educator. And my my focus and expertise is really language-based learning differences, specifically dyslexia, dyscalculia. And um, I just, I love supporting families and students through that process and a journey and it takes a village. And so that's really a little bit, I guess, about me in a, in a condensed uh, elevator speech. Yeah, perfect. And you're currently working in a school, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, so you, um, and you also have this like banging Instagram account where you're giving out content and tips and inspiration, a lot of inspiration I see from you, which is really nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. I'm a learning specialist at a uh, private Quaker school in Baltimore, and I've worked in two specialized private schools earlier in my um, career, and those focus more on neurodiverse learners. And um, I I was an elementary educator at that point, and I have worked in the secondary environment as well in middle school. And I'm currently a middle school learning specialist right now. So I um, feel like there's just a lot of, of free content I want to just share with, with folks out there so they can at least just pick up some of the knowledge and have a deeper understanding of um, things that maybe they're not so sure about. What are some of the biggest challenges you see people wrestling with? And that is a, a very large question. I think given the climate and context of our society right now, and, and this isn't just right now. I mean, we all know that this is this is something that, that always happens, but we're bringing more light and focus to systemic racism and, and educational inequalities. And I, I feel like that is something that is a challenge for teachers, for parents, um, for school districts. I think universities, I mean, I think everyone is really realizing this is a systemic issue on on many levels where who knows if it has to come from the government that mandates that public schools have to now do X and then the public schools have to get the superintendents on board. So I just feel like the biggest challenge really is, is are the systems that are put in place and that have been put in place for decades. Yeah, I think that's why I feel so um, really connected to you because I think our missions are the same, especially with our nonprofit, Mindful Literacy Columbus. It's one of the immediate things we saw when we were looking into writing grants was that reading achievement 
and what reading and literacy can do for somebody's um, quality of life is a social justice issue. You know, when we looked at, you know, this because you put this data out, but like one in, if one in five, if one in five people have dyslexia, whether they know it or not, that's 20% of the population. And how in the world are 85% of juvenile delinquents and prisoners illiterate? That doesn't add up. Exactly. Exactly. And then what happens? (laughs) You know, what happens to them? So, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's, I feel like probably the vision of what you're doing, it will always be at the heart um, of the way that you're helping people, which is super important. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about um, today was some advice from you on what are some things that you think need to change in the system? Well... I, I really, I think what, and I'm going to focus on American schools. I don't know if yeah. you have, a, if, if you have an international audience, but I think, I think in American schools, we need to look at the data. We need to look at, um, so there was a study that was put out. I can't remember what year, but it was recent, probably about three or four years ago, but it basically stated that about 85% of American teachers are white women. And that's huge. So you need to stop and think about that. But 85% of our students aren't white kids. So we need to think about representation in our educators, but we also need to unpack. So if 85% of our white teachers are educating our kids of color, what are their implicit biases? What are their um, mindsets about... um, if this child can't read, are they automatically thinking maybe there are some things that are happening at home that they're making assumptions about? Are they understanding, are they, are they culturally uh, relevant? Are they understanding variety of this culture might be X and this culture might be Y? I mean, I know when I was in public school, my demographics of my school was mostly Asian. And when I mean Asian, it was Korean and Indian. And, um, and then we had some sprinkled in African, um, cultures within my, my school, but sometimes there was talk of, oh, well, we never really hear from those parents. So they must not care when really it could have been a cultural difference of maybe in in their culture. It's well, my child is being taken care of. So unless the teacher reaches out to me, I don't need to reach out to them because there's maybe a respect level of, you know, your craft and you're going to do what's best for my child. So I think there's a, there's really a a bigger, I mean, I feel like I'm focusing on a lot of systemic concerns here. And I think unpacking um, implicit biases and mindsets and how we're viewing more specifically our brown and black children is critical. Because if you really look at the data of mostly black boys, they are labeled as intellectually disabled or emotionally disturbed or emotionally uh, emotional behaviors when maybe the root cause is literacy. So it's definitely something to unpack. It's something that I have, I have talked about, um, you know, till I'm blue in the face because I really feel like we need to be talking about these things in order to get the ball moving. Definitely. One of my um, advisors looked for almost his whole career on the 
it's almost like you can't untie the literacy issues and the social emotional impact it has on people. Um, And so, yeah, treating emotional disturbance with appropriate literacy instruction and having appropriate literacy instruction help develop kids' social emotional skills. They go hand in hand. I was just about to say that. They go hand in hand. I mean, (laughs) I feel like anyone would be angry if they were not taught to read and write. And then you look at them and you're like, why is this kid so angry? It's like, well, maybe because it's, it's a civil right. You can't take that away from young children and then they turn into adults and then it just repeats the cycle. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm thinking back to the times when I was a white teacher in a predominantly African-American school. And there are cultural nuances that are different. And even um, like when it comes time to talk about um, response to intervention and looking at a child individual data and suspecting a disability, um, I would see two sides of a coin and one in some in some communities, it's really like no, 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 no. There's nothing wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to have my kid on an IEP. No, 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 no. Um, and for good reason. I mean, we do know sometimes kids are over-identified with certain disabilities. But then on the other side of a coin, I see um, kids in different communities, parents going, no, no, no. They're not. They're not performing at fifty percent or above then they need to get on an IEP and they may or may not have a disability. So it's sort of like, there's gotta be a middle road as, as with all things, right? Of right. being objective, looking at data, looking at teaching practices um, and looking at individual kids and the environment in which they're, they're growing, right? Oh, well, and I think from my experience working and now three um, private schools versus public school, I will say that, I mean, in general, teachers are overworked and underpaid. I mean, we saw that during the pandemic. But when I came to public school, I heard a lot of, well, how am I supposed to get to know all 150 kids? Like when you're in middle school, how am I supposed to get to know all 150 kids? So you really expect me to do X, Y, and Z. And obviously that was the frustration in the teachers of saying like, okay, so we're constantly hearing this child needs relationship building. And it was almost this, this, um, this comical thing, like, haha, you really expect me to build a close relationship with all these kids. And I have to do my lesson plans. I have to go to all these professional developments and really bottom line. I mean, bottom line is you have to build relationships with your students. It doesn't matter if you have a section of 35 kids and it's five sections of that. Yes, it's stressful, but you know what? We go into teaching. I would love, I, I, I really truly believe we go into teaching because we want to make a difference. We don't go into teaching for the salary. We know that we don't go into teaching to um, have summers off. Some people might, but I mean, I don't know if that's really worth it, but at some point along the way, teachers tend to get jaded. And I think that when you're depending on your environment, you could be in an urban setting and you might burn out. So, I mean, I really feel like the relationship building is critical, but it's hard to navigate that in public school, I feel, when you have high stakes testing, when you have to get through 17 million units in two months and, you know, your principal's pushing you and the district is pushing you. I mean, there's so many things 
that are involved in being a phenomenal teacher. And I think there are phenomenal teachers out there, but there's also a lot that needs to change with systemic racism and literacy. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and what I'm hearing you say too is I'm hearing this undercurrent of time and the pressures that there isn't enough of it. There isn't enough time to build relationships. And you certainly need a lot of time to go deep when you're um, building neural pathways in, in reading and writing. You need tons yes. of time. It's a lifetime journey. And I feel so much like we're like, oh, we have to meet this IEP goal at this by this certain time. I just feel like there's so much cramming and forcing. And I think one thing I'd like to see change is this expansion of time where kids can wrestle with questions and dive deeper and get to know their teacher more, you know, that would be a beautiful thing. No, I, I absolutely agree. I think time is, is definitely a huge concern and yeah, I agree with you about building all the, you know, getting the brain to fire in the right way. I mean, when I was at one of my schools, I think I worked with a group of students who really needed intensive Orton Gillingham. I would say probably for six months, I was doing a Apple A and E Ed A and the students still, it was, it was a slow go. I mean, they really were, they were, they really needed that intense intervention. And it was the kind of thing where fortunately in that setting, there wasn't, you need to be here by October, you need to be here by January. So it was really at the pace of the child, which I think that's one of the benefits that parents, when they put their child in a, in a private school, they're, they're paying for a specific type of education. And that's obviously a different conversation for when you're in public school. So yeah, relationship building and time are, are critical. So one of the things I think maybe just um, in general, this conversation is putting me in mind of when I started the nonprofit Mindful Literacy Columbus, it was because I knew that there were inadequate resources across the board. I was working in a affluent suburban school um, with, you know, teachers who were using the right methodology, had the right curriculums, people, you know, there was involvement, there was data discussions, and still the kids needed more. And that just put me in mind of, well, what about kids who don't have resources or the teachers don't have the training um, and the parents don't know, even know that the kid may or may not have dyslexia, let alone know that they would benefit from summer tutoring let alone they don't know to ask the school district for it. So right. um, I'm wondering from you, what is your thing? Like what is, if you could boil something down to one thing that people could either start or stop doing to like make an impact, like as one person, as one teacher, what could I do today that could start making a difference tomorrow for a kid? Well, it's a really good question. I, I think and when I say this, this is, this is just a general statement and not geared towards every teacher. So I want to preface, I want to preface what I'm going to say by saying that I think that we as teachers need to stop blaming the child. I think we need to not say, 
and I can't I can't say in my experience that I've heard a teacher actually say this, but I, I, I can infer, you know, this kid just can't learn. You know, this kid just can't, can't, this kid just can't, you know, fill in the blank. I think that there is this, I don't know, this, this dichotomy of, well, I've done everything and, and, and I've tried it this way and this kid's just not getting it. And it's, and for, from what I've seen, it's more than often the kids that are definitely, um, um, that, that definitely have special education services that I'm hearing more of that. So then, so then it's, well, you need to go to the special ed teacher. And then, you know, I've heard special ed teachers say, oh, well, this kid, kid just can't. So if we, if we as educators can stop blaming the child and take a look at our teaching practices, I really feel like that is the aha moment. But I recognize too, that that requires work. So that requires you taking a look at yourself in the mirror and saying, gosh, I've been doing this for 25 years and I'm still using that same workbook from 1998. Well, I don't know. The kids just need to figure it out. No, we need to figure it out. We need to stop. I mean, honestly, it's like, here, I'm going to use this analogy. You're not going to go to the doctor and they're going to tell you some research from 1987 like and if they are you're going to question their practices you're going to say why aren't you up to date on what's new and what's out there now i know some things are timeless absolutely but as teachers we're evolving and the system should be changing for the greater good of teachers and students but we also can't just the students just can't be the default issue it's, it's, it's a relationship. It's a two-way street. So, and, and I think that sometimes we might take offense, rightfully so, and anyone that's listening, I don't want them to think that I'm saying this is all the teacher's fault. We put a lot of time, effort, and energy into our lesson plans. We as special educators put a lot of time, energy, and effort into collecting data, into doing our progress notes. I mean, I used to block out time where I would lock myself in someone else's room so no one could find me <laughs> so I could do my progress notes. So a lot of it is we're putting in hours and hours and hours of what we feel is this is how it should be when sometimes curveballs are thrown at us and we have to just, like what we had to do with the pandemic, we had to pivot. We have to pivot. We have to say this isn't working. I put in three, four hours into this lesson plan. I'm frustrated, but the, but the end goal is the child. That's why I entered this profession to make a difference and to change, to change lives. And I don't mean that in this, like, I'm just such an amazing person. Let me change your life. But you, you're really molding the future. And in order to do that, I mean, you could say something to a child that can impact their life positively or negatively for the rest of their lives. And you may not even know it. So I went on a tangent, <laughs> but I felt it was necessary. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I think that that does happen of uh, blaming kids and, in you know, even, um, even passive aggressively, even yes. in the energy currents we carry. Um, and the evidence for that, I think, is in the scars that we see with adults who have yes. lived through, you know, I've, I've started to see that more and more in comments and questions people ask um, on various platforms. And it's, it's, whew, it just makes it so heavy. Their scars they're still carrying and still healing from as like Definitely. grown women, grown men. Yes. 
And sometimes uh, I see it in a reflection of um, they might be anxious entering their child's school, you know, because maybe it brings them back of like, oh, I was always in the principal's office or like, oh, my teachers never liked me. So you never know. You're absolutely right. I mean, you never know what what baggage they might be bringing in to the situation as well. It's, it's complex. It really is. And you need to understand different components. Yeah. And I think so, you know, as, as learning specialists, we identify the behavior we want to stop and the behavior we want to start doing. It sounds like uh, you're saying, and correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but we want to start pivoting and start seeing ourselves as learners <laughs> In the teaching profession, yeah. And li lifelong learners, not just, I'm going to stop learning after five years and I went to this PD because I, I will I will touch on this. And I, and I will say, I was, I did this as well when I was in, in public school. We would have our professional development days and there were many times, and the reason I did this was not because I wasn't, I didn't like learning, but I felt that there was always an English PD, a social studies PD, a science PD. Well, where are the special educators supposed to go? And it would always be default, oh, just go wherever you're co-teaching. So then I'm like tagging along with my math co-teacher or my English language arts co-teacher. And I'm like, but how is this helpful for me for special ed? Like, yeah, here's the curriculum for eighth grade. We're going to talk about grammar and we're going to unpack Romeo and Juliet. And that's great. But where can I collaborate with other special educators who are doing this as well? And so I felt like, ugh. You know, and it's not that I didn't want to learn, but I, I, again, I felt like I wasn't given information to actually learn and go back and it wasn't practical for me. I had to kind of figure it out on my own. So I know some of that might be um, teachers feeling like I want to learn, but then they're almost conditioned to being like, well, I'm not given quality PD, so why should I care? Some, some of them, I feel like, because that, that I've seen some of that with some special educators in my experience where it's like, where did your fire go? You know? Oh, yeah. It's burnout. We got to stoke that fire again. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it, or for me personally, I will just speak to being in that place. Um, and I think I, I've told this story on a different podcast podcast episode when I was talking to Peg Hollenbach. Um, but in that, there was a moment where I like looked up at her. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where to go from here. I've been trying this. I've been doing the evidence-based practices. They got me to a certain point, but now what do I do? And it's, it was really when I started seeking out my own professional development in, <clears throat> in areas outside of, um, I don't know how to say this. Like, I don't want to say like a packaged uh, I was like going directly to the source for content, right? right? So I wasn't going to, <clears throat> I wasn't going to like Orton Gillingham approved whatever to get my stuff. I was actually going to talk to linguists and mm. having linguist teachers so I could actually learn the content, not how to teach something that I, I still myself didn't understand. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which can be a hard and lonely road, you know, like, yeah. Definitely. So you kind of have to find, I think, I don't know. I don't know what advice you would give. Um, I, I We struggled a lot with this internally as like a public school special educators where we had to be the, we had to be the jack of all trades when really to be super effective, we needed to be like the specialist 
a specialist yeah. specialist. Like you, you need to go to this person for K through three math and you, and you know, I'll become the person you go to for fourth, fifth literacy right. and writing and spelling. And um, do you, how do you deal with that as a learning specialist? And I know you're a leader, like a school leader um, in that whole conversation of departmentalizing special ed teams versus making sure people have this wide breadth of skill and talent. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, probably about a year ago when I when I started my um, Instagram account, I talked about that. I said, again, I'm going to use the doctor analogy, the medical doctor. You don't just go to doctor fill in the blank if you have cancer. You don't go to just doctor fill in the blank, same doctor, if you have a newborn baby. You need a pediatrician. You need an oncologist. You need someone who's specialized in whatever that that one thing is that you want fixed or cured or whatever. So it's the same thing with special ed. Why are we going to, now I know you have your, your doctorate in special ed, but I'm curious to know what were their classes where it was specifically autism, specifically cerebral palsy, specifically um, neurodiverse learning differences. And maybe you unpack ADHD and dyslexia. You know, I, I just, I really truly feel like, when you're taking a special educator and you're putting them in public school, at least in the school district where I work, it was, it was a numbers game. It was like, Oh, you, you have this certification, this degree. Oh, you want secondary. Okay. Well, here could be a seventh grade position here. This could be um, alternative life skills and you're just in the resource room or up oh, 12th grade. You're co-teaching English. And it's like, Whoa. So you kind of have to, like you said, be a Jack of all trades. And I think, the hard part about it is, and I think in general, we as special educators, we do tend to pivot when we don't lose our fire. We do know how to say, I know how to bring all my stuff with me, take notes, help the student, pull this kid out in the hall. Like that's a part of our gig. But I also feel like sometimes there's not that, that gracious flexibility from other teachers because I don't think they understand we have to learn a lot of different things to be successful, to support you as a co-teacher and to support the child. So I don't really have an answer for it. I just know that I have been unpacking that question myself. Like how do we go into a specific like classroom or school? And, and I, I, I always use public school because it is more general versus when I was in the specialized private school, especially my first job, everyone knew what dyslexia was. Everyone knew how to um, do the interventions. We had people who were trained in just like you and I and certified in the Orton Gillingham Academy. We had a fellow on campus. So that wasn't a foreign concept where it's like, what are we doing here? So it's, it's tough. And, and I'm not really quite sure how we can fix that again, systemic issue. <laughs> I feel like um, the most um, emotionally comforting way to deal with the systemic issue is knowing that from the grassroots, um, people with feet on the ground, you can make a difference. And what I keep hearing people say over and over is one, just one, one more, <laughs> one more right. time, one more kid, one more book, whatever the case may be, it's reach one. And um I don't know. I too. I I I say as special education teachers, and you are living this right now. We are also teachers of adults, of parents, of other teachers, of gen ed teachers. Of, right. 
principles of fill in the blank. <laughs> right, right, right. I hear you. Definitely, definitely. I think if we are straight on what our, our vision and our heart statements are for how we want the future generations of kids to experience school and how we want these current generation of kids to grow into adults, you know, I think having these honest and open conversations and sometimes hard conversations is critical to changing um, our thought process as a community. No, I would agree. Absolutely. You're not going to make change if you don't, if you don't talk about it. I mean, I feel like that's the first step, acknowledging and, and talking about it. Yeah. So you brought up a couple of times uh, the analogy with the doctor, the physicians. Um, I think, too, I would love to see teachers become scholars in the sense that they are getting first, they're firsthand consuming research and they know um, what is good research and what has been regurgitated and spun, <laughs> you know, and like right. not to accept something like, oh, I heard someone say it's evidence-based. I heard they, well, they said, you know, um, on one hand and on the other hand to also, especially as intervention specialists and dyslexia therapists to be, um, to be empowered to be, to conduct active research you know? Yeah, I, I definitely grapple with that myself because I think it's um, nothing against Pinterest. I think there's some great stuff out there on Pinterest, but how credible is fill in the blank source? I'm not going to knock Pinterest because we've all been there. Where is, where is the evidence? Where is the research? And I, I, I truly believe people in our position, not everyone wants to get their doctorate degree. First of all, it's time consuming. It's a, it's a mental investment and it's the highest degree and it costs a lot of money. <laughs> so not everyone wants to do that. And I recognize that, but I do feel as educators, we should have that thirst and that, that hunger, that drive for like, I just want to know more, but not from Pinterest. No, you know, I'm like, I want more because I do think there are a lot of credible resources out there. I mean, understood.org has, they have cited research at the bottom of their pages. And what I love about that um, resource is it's really, it's simple. So you can type in what are signs of dyslexia and it will break it down for you. And then it'll give you like references that if you like for someone like you and me, maybe we, we might want to go look at those resources. Um, reading rocket. That is another website. I think it's readingrockets.org. Like that's a, another credible website that you can go down a rabbit hole, which I do this all the time. I click something. I'm like, Ooh, let's research more. Let's research more. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I would love if in general teachers were more, um, scholars in that sense, but I will say that we as educators do tend to take this, I'm trying to think of how I can describe it. It's almost like a mechanic approach. So we know that we get orders from our principal our principal gets orders from their boss. We're, we're supposed to be delivering this curriculum. Well, the school district's changing this curriculum. Now it's time for this. I mean, it's very like, do we think for ourselves? 
I mean, really, I mean, that's like the critical question. And I, and that's kind of where I am right now with, with building Think Dyslexia as a business to help universities and schools. But at the same time, that teacher mindset sometimes gets the best of me of like, oh, well, I'm waiting for someone to tell me what I'm supposed to do. And really, it's like sometimes we need to just think for ourselves and Sometimes that's hard if you're not, if you're, if that's not where your brain goes, if you're used to someone saying, Hey, this school year, I mean, even think about our contracts. Well, you start this day, you know, like your break is this day. So it's just, I don't know, as I'm, as I'm talking, I'm thinking out loud. And I think maybe that is part of the, the, um, the need to want to research more about certain content and finding credible research and becoming scholars because I don't think there's a lot of time for that when we're told what we should be doing most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's definitely a bureaucratic system that is that constrains scholarship. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It really does. It um, really does. I think the irony is, is that our expectation for students is to become analytical thinkers, but we're not necessarily practicing that or modeling it um, because maybe we don't have the freedom to. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, I would agree. I would definitely agree. Okay. So that was a big, <laughs> another systemic um, I know. <laughs> yeah, really. things. Um, okay, so think. Tell us about think dyslexia, and where you, where are you now, and where do you envision um, envision this resource going? Sure. So I, I'll start there. I envision this in the next few years to be a global, um, basically a global enterprise, a business, a, a a place where it's not just me and I have other folks working with me and we are in universities helping these professors, working on teacher training, because that's really where this starts. And then it can trickle down to school districts um, and communities. So it's not necessarily about let me tutor this student, you know, let me... Um, go to this IEP meeting, let's do this advocacy. That's not what where I see this. I see this as a bigger idea so we can start from the top and work its way down. And, um, and with that, with the Orton-Gillingham approach and methodology that I've been using and practicing for seven, eight years, well, since that's, that's how long I've been certified. So I guess about 10 years, my whole career I've been using it. Um, taking those principles and knowing like the, the power of the gold standard that can be incorporated. And so while I'm thinking of this, I'm right now in the early stages, I'm networking, I'm making connections with folks globally who, who are seeing a need in their school districts, in their countries. Um, a lot of African countries just don't acknowledge a lot of middle Eastern countries are just like, we don't, we don't know what that is. It doesn't exist. Let's just not focus on that. I know that's big in Egypt. That's big in Oman. So I really see this as something that when the right people are in the right space, we all have that same goal to know how to educate and support and get our teachers on board with um, supporting universities and school systems. I love that. 
I love that you're thinking big and dreaming big. Thank you. Well, I feel like it's the only way you, you should be, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, so what is what is a mantra that inspires you and keeps you going towards this vision? You know, honestly, I don't necessarily have a mantra. I think it's more of a, a mindset for me where mm-hmm. I was I was a division one athlete and I competed at a very high level. I, I had um, I was offered two full track scholarships and I worked really hard to make sure that undergrad was paid for. And so I, I ran track full time at Syracuse University. And in the thick of it, I don't think I really realized just how much dedication it took. I mean, we, we would be at practice for four hours a day and, you know, then I would have to get my schoolwork done and then I'd have to travel on the weekends for track meets. And so that mindset, I feel like I've always had this like go-getter, you know, driven, motivated mindset where when there's a will, there's a way. So if I have this vision, if I have this thought of something that I want to become true, when you put energy into that and you water that plant it's not necessarily about the strategy. It's about, or, or it's not about the strategy. It's, it's not really about how. It's about this is what I want and everything will fall in place at some point. So for me, it's more of the mindset of like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing there's a systemic issue. You know, it's kind of like when we were crafting our um, dissertation question, our research, where is there a gap in the research? Well, this is a gap in the society. <laughs> and so I recognize this and I've lived it in various school districts and school systems. So let's bring it to the forefront and let's talk about these racial systemic issues in regards to literacy. So it's more of just focus and, and really, yeah, it's mindset. I don't, I don't really think I have like a, a mantra or a quote. (laughs) No, that was, that was great. I, um, I definitely can relate as a college athlete, I was on the rowing team and I will often say like, okay, I stepped off on my own away from my teacher friends to do this, but I don't like, I don't like working by myself. I, I like right. to have, I have to pull for a team, which is why I think I, you know, again, I'm just so grateful that uh, you've reciprocated a friendship and I hope that, you know, with a shared dream, um, you know, that we figure out together how to close the gaps, the gaps, plural. Um, So I hope in the future, Mindful Literacy Columbus and Think Dyslexia are like, you know, out there and and across the nation. And you're now saying, no, no, across the world. Okay. Globally. (laughs) Dr. Lauren, I'll pull for you. I'll pull for you. I love um, it. Yes. Let's do big things. Mother. Yeah, definitely. We'll take a team, right? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So you are dedicated to, it sounds like to me, you're dedicated to helping um, professional teachers with their professional development. What are your professional development goals? Gosh, that's such a great question. I mean, I think right now, I 
really want to continue with my Orton Gillingham certification. So I have been out of the game for a while and I'm looking to start up my certified training probably within the next year with um, a fellow. And I really feel like that will be, I mean, honestly, I have a friend who is a fellow and, and I'm tutoring a student right now and just having those quick little check-ins I'm like, gosh, I really miss that, you know, and also questions where I'm tutoring a high schooler and I'm like, wait a second. Well, I'm thinking about this. And so I like having that. And I realized I need to get back into that. Um, also, too, I'm working towards um, hopefully being trained in letters, which is Louisa Motes. Um, you know, that's her program. So that's professional development. I think that will only make me a stronger um orator, if you will, and teacher. And I think just really, really understanding the statistics globally. I, I really want to know what's going on in these countries that have more brown and black people. So, you know, like I said, some of the Middle Eastern countries, um, India is a huge one where I get a lot of DMs <laughs> from, I don't know what the school systems are looking like there, but I know special ed is, is fairly new in terms of law there. So I really want to understand more of, you know, what's going on so I can understand how in the future Think Dyslexia can can help support those countries. Because I think the bottom line with that is is uh, awareness. You know, I think they need to just understand what they don't know. So uh, but, you know, I feel like there's always there are always areas for improvement. Um, I'm also learning how to be a I like to use the term edupreneur. <laughs> <I'm learning. laughs> how what that looks like and I will say I'm loving the summertime because I have the flexibility to do podcasts and to sit down and think creatively about content rather than here's my contract gotta get to school you know <laughs> gotta come home take care of the kids and now I can sit down and do my work <laughs> so yeah awesome you are super busy I love it and I love that you're modeling, you know, that lifelong learner mindset that we have to have um, in order to move our society forward. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Any last um, thoughts? I'd love to hear what um, is your biggest joy in teaching, whether it is the kids you are working with on one-on-one -on -one or with adults with Think Dyslexia. Yeah. So I, I can answer that. I can answer both of those. So I think the first one is I love seeing the impact of when I feel like for me, I'm just giving a parent a, a resource or my advice and it's like life-changing for them and, and, and their world is open and they just feel like, wow, I didn't see it that way. Or gosh, you really gave us the right resource that can point us in the right direction. I love that feeling of the last 10 years I've built up my expertise and now I can support and help. And then also with Think Dyslexia, I just love some of the random messages I get from folks that basically say like your account, it, it's actually teaching me more about me and my, or my child. And I didn't realize this, or I'll hear stories about my child's school told me that they're fine, but then I'm seeing some of these signs and, you know, these early indicators and it has me thinking and wanting to go to a neuropsychologist or get a second opinion. So having those little, I guess, testimonials. And I, and I, like you said in the beginning, like, I don't know these folks in the flesh, but it's just nice to know that my, my page matters 
I never thought it would be as big as it is today, but it drives me to make sure I'm putting out good content for everyone out there because it's a, it's a needed, it's a needed resource. Absolutely. Well, I certainly enjoy following you and I really enjoyed the conversations I've had with you getting to know you more. And I can't wait for this. What do we, what should we call this? Um, entrepreneurial friendship to keep uh, evolving as we grow as teachers and educators. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation and I'm looking forward to re-listening to this. (laughs) Absolutely. Before we wrap things up, have you checked out our bookstore for Beehive Press? Beehive Press is an imprint of Mindful Literacy Columbus, and it publishes books by kids for kids. Book sale proceeds go toward our scholarship funds. We have nearly a dozen graphic novels and chapter books available. Check out our bookstore at mindfulliteracypractice.org forward slash bookstore forward slash. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. May you be inspired and energized and share this love with those in your care. We are so grateful to have you as part of our community. If you are enjoying the content in this podcast, please share with your friends and colleagues, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please also take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram at mindful.literacy.cbus. We want to hear from you. What topics do you want us to cover next? Who is doing amazing things in the field of education that we should be talking to in season four? Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace.